when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome to Waypoint Radio, a very special episode of Waypoint Radio that doesn't have a date yet because uh, I don't know what the schedule will be when the embargo drops on this one. Uh, I'm Austin Walker. Patrick Klepik is here as always. And joining us, very special guest, the award-winning composer Austin Winery is here. Another Austin joining the podcast. Oh, no. I've won enough. Thank you. <laughs> one is too much. Let's be honest. And yet, here um, we are. And so, yeah, we're here. We're here to face disaster together. Uh, yep. That is well, f- face or create disaster together. One of those. Ooh, interesting. You're already you're already selling us on the mystery of whatever your next project is. Uh, which well, we the real talk the about. mystery. I think um, I think the mystery comes from the fact that I always I, I meet very few other Austins, mm-hmm. and I always say the reason why is because of that plot from the horrible Jet Li movie, The One. Where right. uh, he he goes to parallel universes, killing the parallel version of himself, because apparently there's like this universal amount of power, and we're yeah. all normal humans because it's diluted amongst like forty parallel versions, and as they die, you get more powerful, and it's obvious. I mean, it's just physics. So this is right, uh, right. I, this is why we have yeah. to do this by Skype. We can't do this in person. It's too dangerous. I like it to is. think that we'd hold ourselves back, but the temptation would be right there, you know? So we t- Yeah, we keep each other accountable, that's for sure. <laughs> Austin, you and I actually first met uh, three years ago. Almost, I, I don't know to the date, but it might be. Actually, you want to know, if it, it's almost exactly to the date. Uh, that's what I thought. Which I know because of my Facebook memories were reminding <laughs> me that I was in New York. Perfect. T- like today, three years ago for... So- it Journey was Live. literally, yes. Yeah. So you were here for Journey Live, which was this incredible performance um, where you were conducting uh, a, a live. Uh, how many people were in in uh, that performance? It's an intimate show. It's like maybe 12 to 15 musicians, sort of a chamber orchestra. Right. Um, while another set of players performed the game live not a video of the game but we're playing the game live to the live scoring which was a fantastic experience um and you and i got to speak a little bit about games and music and and composition then but that was three years ago and so now i know you're working on new stuff uh stuff seems really interesting you've worked on things since then and we felt like maybe we should get together and chat a little bit about about where you're at, what you're working on, and the state of, of game music and the state of games and the state of music, all that stuff. Whatever you want to talk about, we are here to talk about it. Maybe some all horror. Those little, all those little existential, monu- monumentally giant questions. Actually, yeah. ironically, just as proof of how far I've come, literally four days ago, I was doing Journey Live again somewhere in, in Colorado this time. So... <laughs> I'm apparently caught in a in a loop, and right. the rest of the world has moved on. 
I'm in a bigger room than the one I was in when I last when I last did a call with you, but it is still red like the previous room. So we're both I'm in the red room is what I'm saying, which is dangerous and ominous in itself. Well, I I hope you get married there and have a <laughs> uh, an appropriate uh, themed wedding. A themed wedding, yeah. Um, so let's jump into the new thing. Can, is that a place we can start? We'll get to uh, other bigger questions, but I I am eager to hear what you have to say about your next project, which is called Erica. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's a it's really different than anything I've done because the game, I mean, it'll be obvious the moment anybody looks at <laughs> even one second of it, because it's it's a film game, you know? It 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 basically the I mean the obvious comparison that people are gonna make is say, oh, it's basically like Bandersnatch. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a convenient shorthand, but it's actually a little bit uh, like uh, it does a somewhat of a disservice to Erica because I would say that Bandersnatch was basically an interactive film and yeah. Erica is a filmed game. It's very much a video game. It's loaded with game mechanics, but it's just every second of it is built around, uh, you know, actors and sets and cameras and props and all the things that we associate with movie making. Uh, so yeah, it, it is, but it, but like Bandersnatch, it exists at this kind of intersection between, well, I guess what we could broadly call interactive media and traditional filmmaking. Is it in that which way? Which made it crazy hard. Oh yeah, I bet. I, well, because there's different expectations, right? Like you open up Netflix and Bandersnatch is there. And I mean, the you in that sentence is going to be way broader than people who play video games. But if Erica is being focused as a, you know, a filmed game, the people who play games, like you said, there's mechanics they expect. There's, there's more than just sort of one choice here or there. Um, can you give me like Correct, the, yeah. the, the basics on what Erica is for people who haven't seen a trailer yet or who are only hearing about it now? Yeah, sure. Well, and, and the, and the thing you said a second ago is, is kind of a perfect, uh, s- description of the goal where th- the creative director, Jack Atridge and his company Flavorworks, based in London, they are very much trying to make something that broadens the reach of games. Like they, their mm. target I believe if I can speak for them, which I can't, uh, but if I pretend to, uh, the um, the goal is to kind of bring games in a in a digestible and understandable way while still being authentically a game to, like you said, there's still untold hordes of people out there that don't really n- know anything about games, never play them, don't know much. I mean, sure, case in point, the Journey Live that we just did in Colorado this past weekend, uh, we did it in a kind of performing arts center that has unusual shows on a regular basis. So they have a little nucleus of play- of uh, audience members that come regardless of what's there. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, somewhat elderly guy came up to me afterward and said, look, I've literally never once in my life played any game. I had no idea that games could be this. Uh, and I was just mesmerized through the whole show and, you know, thanks for coming or something like that. And I was like, oh man, that is my dream audience <laughs> member uh, is, you know, all the, I mean, I love when people show up who are like wearing journey shirts and, you know, or scarves and sure, that kind of thing sure. and su- super passionate. But, but I, I love preaching to the unconverted as it were uh, even more because to me games, I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure uh, you would agree. I mean, it's, just the most unbelievably compelling art form. And I think it'll be by the end of the 21st century, it will 
at least match the kind of cultural impact that film had on the 20th century. Um, it, you know, we still have a long way to go to reach that, but I think by the end of this century, it could very easily be just as or more omnipresent as films have been up till now. And so um, any, any little part I can play in that to kind of evangelize on behalf of games as a medium I believe in so much, I'm always happy to do. So yeah, all that said, as my apparently <laughs> extensive preamble, uh, the Erica is a game. The, the sort of basics of the story is that it follows a young girl who has grown up with a kind of uh, traumatic childhood, you know, memories of a traumatic childhood and, and surviving sort of witnessing or quasi witnessing the murder of her father and never really knowing her mother. So she's kind of this adrift, broken, lost, uh, not weak, mind you, but but just kind of traumatized uh, young woman. And the sort of opening of the story is that um, there's uh, this horrible thing that happens where somebody, she, she basically opens up her door and finds a, a, a package mailed to her with a severed hand in it. And the police investigation that begins kind of launches her down this road of discovering more about her own childhood memories and, and the potential connection between whatever crime has just been committed and the unsolved crime of her father's murder. And it's, it's a lot of this kind of intrigue and, and paranoia thriller type type stuff. Uh, and uh, really, really well executed. You know, the, the, like I mentioned before about the kind of a comparison to Bandersnatch, one of the strengths of something like that and Black Mirror in general is just the incredible caliber of the filmmaking uh-huh. and the, the, the FMV genre, as I'm sure you'd agree, part of the reason why it's kind of a junk genre by default is because so much of it, the, the filmmaking half of it was terrible. They were just badly made with bad actors and, and people who basically pairing together filmmakers who didn't understand games with game designers who didn't understand filmmaking. Right. And so you end up with just the worst possible of both. And it's just doomed from the start. It's just a terrible premise. But this, this is, this is really quite the opposite. You have really savvy, curious, interesting game designers who, who understand film and hired, you know, they're, they're teaming up with filmmakers who are gamers and that kind of thing. And, you can feel it when playing it. I visited the set while they were shooting and I could see it plainly. Like these people all understand each other. They have to kind of form two teams that focus on their individual specialty, huh. but they, they, they actually are one team really, which was so cool. cool. So yeah, 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 that's my little I, attempt at a spoiler free description of the, <laughs> of of the game. Um, you know, I, I can't speak for Patrick, but I, when I, when I think of what people think of, when they hear Austin Winery, they think, you know, um, kind of uh, music that opens up the spirit, something like Journey or Abzu, stuff that can be kind of um, epic and heroic or, or tragic, like the work you've done on the Banner Saga. Um, uh, 
the idea of you stepping into, or again, I, I know you've actually done this sort of work before, but in terms of the popular mind and conception of of uh, of your your sure, work, yeah, like the idea of of you leaning into kind of very ominous music, story, uh, you know, scoring a, a work that is going to be that sounds tense, that sounds almost like horror or horror adjacent. I I think horror when I think about a hand appearing in a box in front of me, um, not appearing. I, I just call that Wednesday, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> wow. Living a different life than me. Um, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the beauty is like everybody, everybody might think of me. They might think that because journey is pretty well known that I'm actually like that, but it turns out I'm the kind of guy that mails hands and boxes to people <laughs> and, uh, I'm hiding in plain sight, uh, because of, uh, journey. It bought me okay. a lot of, a lot of Good. goodwill that I don't deserve. I've, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've gotten a lot of things from game companies over the years as promotional, uh, promotional objects. <laughs> Never got a hand. Not yet. You're making so. me think the marketing strategy. I don't know that they've realized that as a potential marketing uh, idea for this. And so we're going to need some very, very um, trusting volunteers <laughs> to come down to the clinic and, uh, and we'll prepare our mail out packages. So, but no, you're, what you're saying is completely... Uh, true. And I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kind of, um, I don't know, aware of that, I guess I'm very lucky to have, I mean, anybody's lucky to have anything associated with their name. Um, and I would never, the, the truth is, you know, I mean, journey was, was a singularly life-changing experience and one of the best personal and professional things I could ever imagine being a part of. And, uh, and if for the rest of my life, I'm like that journey guy, I would feel I would cherish that good fortune. I mean, that's just, it's such a special game and to have been a part of it, I'll, I'll never, I will never think, you know, ill of somebody who says, oh, wow, you know, journey guy. And it's like, it's been 30 years, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. It, it, it just, it was a really special thing. And, but you are not wrong. It does create the association uh, and you can't help. You, I don't blame people for that. You can't help it. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of like the reverse is true. A composer friend of mine, Jason Graves, did the Dead Space games, and and it's like, no matter what he does, he's the horror. <laughs> he's the king of horror. Right. And so it's like he did this little Sony VR game called Moss, and they initially were like, Jason, but this isn't a horror game. Uh, and uh, like, well, you know, amazingly, I know how to not sound shrieking and violent all the time. <laughs> Um, Amazing. so the reverse of that is, is I guess true here as well. And it's not, it's, it definitely has some straight on kind of horror moments in it, but it's also a lot of ominousness and mysteriousness and, um, and, uh, and it's great fun. I mean, it's, it's something I've done periodically. Mostly I've done it in movies. I've done a handful of kind of indie horror thrillers where I've, I've kind of worked that muscle more than the, than the games I've done. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, it's, that's a whole other palette that's really fun to play with because it's, it's one of those kind of anything goes playgrounds yeah, yeah. that's not true in, a, in most every other genre. And, uh, so yeah, I was able to do some, some weird so, stuff, which I'm always on the hunt for. <laughs> well, and it's kind of always the case. Uh, so horror is unique as, especially in film in which, Music can itself be a character, which is often not the case with a lot of other like where the music is there. It's it's to accentuate a scene. But, you know, there's a reason there are so many sort of iconic 
horror themes or if you think back to especially like 70s, 80s horror, like I think a lot of like this, watching the, the the rough cut of the trailer for for Erica, I couldn't help but hear some of like Christopher Young's like Hellraiser soundtrack, which is like very oh, orchestral and and loud. It's one of my all time. You know, I he's look a, for Hellraiser very, references uh... and whatever I can find, but um, <laughs> I, like you know, like that big bombastic, um, huge strings. Um, whereas you watch horror oh, yeah. films these days, that stuff's receded into the background. But it's like very prominent in seventies um, and eighties horror. So I'm curious. Uh, like was that was that fun where it was like hey in horror or like horror leaning um, uh, medium or, or sort of a setting the music can go a little more wild because it's supposed to be a little more upfront in a way that it's not always the case. Yeah, you know I love Chris is actually a good friend and was kind of a mentor to me a long time ago, um, and he was working on. Uh, he he had just recently finished the Exorcism of Emily Rose when I came into his life. Also, great um, movie. And his, yeah, and the score has some some major teeth, uh, and there's a few moments that are really just nasty, um, and so yeah, ge- being able to to um, to play in that space, I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's a it's a blast. I wouldn't say I, the, the closest reference that I would make. It's funny, Hellraiser definitely never came up, but that's <laughs> um, but I I it delights the mind to imagine if it might have um, the. The two kind of references that I would point to as being potentially kind of similar, there were never things that we were overtly trying to kind of capture in our own way, but they they exist sort of in the subtext. They're just kind of generally inspirational for us, I could say, is the nature of the sort of paranoia to the storyline and to the the constant wondering of like what's real and what's not yeah. gives it a little bit of a Hitchcockian twist the the thing is hitchcock his collaboration with bernard herman has a very specific sound like the bernard herman musical vibe of psycho north by northwest vertigo uh th- those that's a very that's a very specific sound and we definitely don't do that the the herman esque like like bioshock has a lot of that for example yeah um yeah. and we don't really go there um and, but I would say there's still that, even though we don't musically, the overall game has kind of a Hitchcockian tilt to it. But then there's also, there's this German film that the director and I both really loved. It, it's a German film, but it's in English with like Dustin Hoffman and Alan Rickman called Perfume. Um, hmm. That it was virtually unknown in the US. For some reason, it completely flopped here, but it was hugely <laughs> popular in Europe. It's one of these bizarre asymmetrical releases where normally a film, you know, will make, you know, a hundred million in the U S and then all of Europe will match that hundred million. But this was one that made under 10 in the U S but then like 200 million in Europe, it was a giant hit overseas. And it's based on this very notorious, uh, German novel where the author had resisted letting anybody have the film rights forever and ever and ever because he just didn't think it would be possible to even make a movie of this story. Huh. Because it's basically, it's it's sort of a murder, a, a romantic fairy tale-esque murder thriller. You kind of think of like Pan's Labyrinth, where it's sure. fairy tale, but it's really quite dark. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has that quality and uh, really beautiful score by Reinhold Heil and Johnny Klemek, and also co-written by the film's director, Tom Tickver. This is the same director as like Cloud Atlas. Oh, um, wow. Huh. And um, and um, he did Run Lola Run, and okay. so he he and he's co-scored all those films as well with with uh, those two guys. 
And because so, they like have a band together, they used to at least. And so this score is super lush orchestral and has this beautiful kind of fairy tale sensibility. And then it'll zero in on these crazy, creepy horror moments, but it does them with a kind of, um, a kind of elegance, um, as opposed to the slash violent Chris Young kind of sound, which is just mm -hmm. raw carnage. And so we, we tried to kind of have the cake and eat it too and, and hit both in this, you know, there's moments where it's creepy in a hopefully kind of elegant way. And then, yeah, I kind of, I kind of unleash hell periodically <laughs> as well. Um, how do you find the but right it's balance? It's really not a horror game. So how do you find the right know, it's, balance it's, between those two those two modes of because you know obviously the the narrative will guide you there to some degree you know there are certainly scenes I'm sure where you're like oh this is the one where I have to pull out all the stops I can be as ridiculous and powerful and strange and scary as possible but other moments where definitely. something more creepy will happen or you know creeping is really what I mean there's like okay is something mm -hmm. else happening here paranoia but I'm I'm also sure that there are scenes where you see the footage, you read the script, you see what the player's actions are, and there's a couple of ideas. You could go really heavy. You could be be kind of light and subtle and, and almost insidious. How do you make those sorts of decisions? Is that gut? Is that experience? Is that something else? Yeah, it, well, it's all the above. And the something else would be um, a really, really close collaboration with the, di the game director uh, because there were a lot of times where I would look at a scene and I would say, you know, I, I see something really subtle here. I see a very minimal, let's just, let's just do a feathers touch because the performance is carrying it or the cinematography is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think that the emotion is lacking before we've even added music and I don't want to overload it. So let's just keep it simple. And then he would come and say, well, actually, here's the thing. I want this to be all about the subtext <laughs> of blank which is really not on screen. And I would say, well, that's a hell of a good point, actually. We can really make this scene, you know, something totally different than what it would be initially. Like, here's an example. One of the very first scenes in the game is after um, the character, Erica, gets sort of swept into this investigation. She, she gets brought to a kind of... Um, like a boarding school. It's sort of a, you can think of it like a rehab clinic in a way. Okay. It's, it's a place that her father had founded when she was growing up and he was kind of the head doctor as it were. And so she has a few scattered childhood memories of this place, but has mostly grown up pretty distant from it. And it, but it has continued operation even long after his death when she was a kid. So she's kind of coming back to this place, you know, in her mid twenties having not really seen it in 20 years since she was, you know, under the age of 10. And, and it's now it's like a, it's like a treatment facility for sort of troubled young girls, like a hot, like a, almost like a mental hospital. And so a little bit sort of shutter Island in a way. And um, so she, uh, at the very beginning of the game, when you, you know, when, the, when you very first arrive, she walks into the lobby and there's a painting of her father on the wall. And she, you know, her father's been dead for 20 years and, and, right. and the trauma of discovering his body, you know, the opening scene of the game is this nightmare of her remembering finding his body, uh, when, before we kind of snap back to present day. And so here she is looking at this painting and it was one of those where I, I, I kind of initially wanted to leave it pretty open. Um, and, but then there was also this temptation of, well, you know, is it, is it sad? You know, she's looking right. at the father she never really knew. Um, 
And but the game director was like, I think it's actually more we can be we can embrace the complexity of it because it's also it's also just weird. It would be yeah. very disorienting to walk into a strange place and under the circumstance of, you know, being whisked there by the cops after this horrible, like a severed hand is found on your front door. Like, so you're not in a good place. And then you walk in and then there's this oil painting on the wall of your father. And he was like, I think that it can be, we can be addressing the intrinsic weirdness and almost total unrelatability of that moment than trying to get all saccharine and say, oh, how sad she misses her father or something, which is actually really kind of cheesy. Right. Um, and, uh, but it's ideas? also not creepy. What's the, yeah, right. It's not right. It's not creepy. It's this other thing. So I guess that, that's my question is you get a note like that. You hear a note like the, uh, the uh, intrinsic, what did you just say? You said the intrinsic, un, not unknowability. Unrelatability. Unrelatability, like, no, right. Yeah, How do well, I it's not exactly a universal experience. Like, no, no, totally. But for the and for the for the viewer, something very strange has to be translated. So this moment for this other character, does that just spark ideas in your brain? Does that like, or is that a thing you sit with? Is that a thing you go home with and you go like, all right, how? Okay, the intrinsic unrelatability of this weird moment. It's not creepy. It's not sappy. It's weird. How, do you sit with that or do you go like? I got six ideas. I hope one of them works. I'm going to go try them out. Yeah, it's usually it's usually that. It's usually, ooh, <laughs> you know, here's three or four things. I don't know if any of them are going to work, but let me kind of try to cook them up and throw them over the fence and see what gels. You know, this score, is, it took, I mean, it's probably the hardest I've ever worked on anything because every, every single little scrap of music was like version 30 by the time it shipped. <laughs> um, and not because the director was a pain in the ass, uh, it just was a hard target to hit. There were always a lot of balls in the air and dialing back and forth between how emotionally subtle are we being versus how kind of direct when we choose those moments and how we pick those battles. It was really nuanced. And I think part of the reason why is you're playing a game like it's it's a Sony title. You're playing it on your PlayStation. Right. It'll eventually, I think, be be out uh, elsewhere. But at launch, it's it's PS4. And so. Your 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 hands are telling you you're playing a game, but your eyes are telling you you're watching a movie, and that's pretty unique. Of a, a it's like a it's almost like cognitive dissonance. It's not normal for a game to make your brain click into this mode of of I'm watching a movie, and therefore I have all the expectations I would associate with a movie. Uh, you know, on a game, better or worse, part of the kind of youth of the industry, the fact that games are just so young still as an art form is I think the gamers, we all, I say this as a gamer, we forgive a lot. We forgive bugs. We forgive, you know, jittery, or we forgive bad writing and bad acting. Totally. We forgive storylines that make no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, because it's like, if only, at minimum, it's like, well, look, the story is stupid, but the gameplay is fun, so whatever. Like get, films have no such lifeline they can throw out. It's like if the stories and character and the production value all fall flat, then it's a bad movie. There is no yeah. other avenue to kind of appreciate it by. And um, and so this one puts you in an interesting position because you basically have to rise to the level of film sophistication that most film goers have. But yet you are playing a game. So it's it's like you're kind of trapped in this in this place. And so that's the biggest reason why I think we 
we wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote the music a thousand times over. It just, it, it was, it was, it's a game playing by film rules, basically. But, but given the fact that it's in sort of a pseudo game context as a composer, so in a, in a video game, you're, to some degree, you know what the player is doing. Like maybe they're in a room, um, you know, generally the setup, but they may have control of the camera in which they've decided to turn it over to the left. And they're going to stare at this rock texture while this really beautiful thing is happening, supposed to be happening in front of them, but they're not looking at it. And so as a composer, <laughs> right. on some level, is it more comfortable to be, or, or, I mean, you've done so many games, you've done film and stuff too, but like, what is it? how different is it to be like, all right, I know exactly what the player is fixated on. And so they're playing a game, but unlike most games, they can't necessarily control and change the camera. And so I have a better sense of exactly what we're kind of emotion we're attending to get out of them and what they're looking at in the moment relative to a game where you've given up some measure of control to the person with the controller. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an interesting question because I would say it's less about, literally what they're looking at or the kind of nature of their control. The the main way that you have the two, the two principal ways in which the the player controls what's going on in this game is constant dialogue trees and also um, sort of brand, divergent pathways of, of where to go next. So, you know, uh, an example is in the scene I was talking about a, month, a minute ago where you're looking at this painting on the wall or not even you. That's another interesting thing. Right, it's never right. you. It's always Erica. Uh, she is very much the main character and in kind of like Joel in the last of us, he's you, but he's really not because he is his own guy and you're just sort of writing co-pilot in his brain. That same thing here. You Erica is a thoroughly defined human being that you have this kind of ghostly ability to manipulate, but but not fully. And so, um, so anyway, that scene where she's looking at the painting on the wall, um, immediately after that, there's like a little noise in the distance and she turns and sees, um, movement down this hallway. And then right in that moment, there's a kind of, uh, like a host, there's a greeting, like a receptionist desk at the, in the lobby. And, but it's really late at night. And so there's nobody there. And there's a little phone on the desk that starts ringing. So, very quickly, you have this sort of wide angle shot where you can go pick up the phone or you can go down the hallway and investigate whatever little movement you saw, like people down the hallway. And that's two very, the game will branch into two very, very different scenes in that moment. Now, obviously gamers, we understand the basics of that. Although a lot of games will kind of let you do one and then backpedal and do the other and sort of, you can usually kind of do everything. Uh, especially RPGs, because that's the way I tend to play. That's why it takes mm -hmm. me forever to play games like that, because I can't, I can't just live with one choice. I have to kind of yeah. investigate everything. Um, so it's like a game like Fallout. You know, I will, I will just scour everything before I'll even remotely engage with the actual core plot because I, I like to know the landscape. And this forces you down whatever choice that you make. There is no going back because a movie couldn't do that. The only reason you would ever go back is if there's some organic reason why she would, you know double back down the hallway and the phone would still be ringing. But in the case of this scene, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so it's like the scene just diverges and it's, it's like reality itself splits into two, two different realities from that point forward, like the movie sliding doors, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of overanalyzing it, but the, but the point is that because the character will constantly make these 
seemingly small decisions that potentially have big consequences, the score has to be just perpetually aware of that and always willing to kind of, you know, duck and weave with those player choices. Uh, and it's exhausting because the other <laughs> aspect of it is, I mean, a games, the thing is, I think all games should do this irrespective of, of if they're traditionally made games or not. But I think a lot of games partially just because of the practical constraints of how much music you can just jam into them um, uh, for, for all manner of reasons. Uh, but also because I think that it's just still a young industry. They have a tendency to cast this wide net. So it's like, if I am playing, uh, you know, um, oh, well, I said Fallout a second ago. So I'll use that example. So let's say I'm playing Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Fallout 4, you know, one of the locations you can go to is like the the sort of, um, you know, it's like the old fort, the the kind of like revolutionary war yeah. era yeah, yeah, castle yeah. on the on the beach um can't remember what it's called it's been too long but but you know what i'm talking about it's like yeah, one absolutely. of the little strongholds um so like let's say you go there well then the music will have a tendency to just be like here's the theme of this location <laughs> right. and so you can you can have a conversation with somebody that radically alters what you think is going to happen next but the music is completely unaware right. of that it's the music heroic- is just patriotic it's just yeah yeah uh-huh yep yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just totally. telling you this is where we are not <laughs> this is what we're doing um and uh but with erica the thing is movies don't do that because obviously the constraint of a movie part part of the reason why they do that on a game like fallout is because it's like a hundred hour game and there's already yeah. you know four hours of music or whatever as it is there's just only so far that you can go before it starts to become completely unmanageable so I, I fully understand and I've been in that position on projects myself where at some point you just kind of have to call it and say, there's only, we can't get any more granular than this. It's just too much. Uh, we don't have enough time or there's not enough resources or, you know, the, 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 the game, you know, the, the download footprint can only get so large with this much music, that kind of stuff. There's all these reasons why practical reality must interject and assert itself. But when you're watching a movie, movies are all pretty constrained. Like if it's a two hour movie, then, you know, the absolute maximum amount of music is going to be two hours. And it's like pretty easy to draw fences around it. You know, so as a result, movies don't they don't do that. They don't say, oh, well, look, we can only afford 30 minutes of music. Um, And so we're just going to have like music. There's going to be a a theme for this character and we're just going to copy and paste that music every time they're on scene uh, on screen. Like. That would be horrible. And even the most like no, totally un, I, yeah. uninitiated film viewer would see right through that and be like, what the hell is going on? I mean, this is uh, like, I think about the, feel imp- weird. the Imperial theme from Star Wars as this thing that in your head, you're like, oh yeah, they play that all the time. That's always playing whenever there's an, imp- like, no, it actually isn't the case. They deploy that a few times in, in, you know, in, in a Star Wars film. And then what they do is they build certain you know, uh, motifs that show up in other places. And because it's a film, they can know that by the time they're ready to deploy the big guns, whether whoever's, whoever's like main theme that is, whatever the, the big dramatic climactic encounter is, whatever that is, they've built up those motifs so that they can cash in on them. But when I play Fallout 4 yep. and, and I'm doing the big whatever mission with the Brotherhood of Steel, I've heard the Brotherhood of Steel uh, 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 you know, main theme every time I've been in their base. Or the other thing is, maybe I haven't. And that's kind of my question for you is like, 
how as a composer do you count on or address in a game not knowing how often a player will have heard bits of that music? Is that something in Erica with the kind of you know branching story and the, the way in which uh, options do get closed out for you? Does that change? Like, is there a world in which I haven't heard the the set of, you know, the, whatever the, the, the riff is that's associated with Erica's father as many times as another player? Or are you do you have to kind of like figure out a way Definitely, to make yes. sure okay i'd love to hear more about that yeah oh no what you're saying was was a big that was a big challenge because you you nailed it with the whole imperial uh march thing where by the time we hear it in you know like using that example that theme really is hammered heavily during the uh vader luke cloud city fight in which mm. uh, he cuts off his hand spoiler uh, and uh, <laughs> oh, okay. For, to be, you've had you, you've had uh, forty years to get your act together. So uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a little, I'm no, very, I'm very you're pathologically good. anti-spoiler. But that one, I think, will let slide. It's like, you know, oh my God, Soylent Green is people. Uh, now but, you spoiled uh, a second thing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just like, Soylent- I, yeah, I, I really think you shouldn't spoil things. But you know what? I'm just gonna spoil two things back to back and just make sure I'm. You know, you want to know what Rosebud really was no, also? I will not. Um, uh, the Ghostbusters you can't cartoon. You go for a trilogy. The We're Ghostbusters cartoon already spoiled that for me when I was a child. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, never Back again. Back when Egon was a blonde. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, that's so funny. I So yeah, so the point is, during that very spoilery lightsaber fight, we are hearing... The Imperial March in this very culminating kind of way where you 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 totally nailed it. We are hearing it where John Williams knew full well that he had planted that seed repeatedly. And now the the giant, very imposing and menacing version of it has far more meaning and reaches us more kind of in this gut visceral way uh, because it's not being, you know, trotted out for the first time as some novelty. And that's that's where, you know, great storytelling is all about structure is all about really knowing like when you see an amazing stand-up comedian where they have this air of spontaneity but the callbacks and the references make you realize that they know full well where they're going at any given moment and they're right. master storytellers that to me is just the greatest art and that's what I'm always trying to figure out how to do on every project I work on even if it's you know the most open world free uh p- player agency to the max type of thing I'm always looking for ways to subtly impose some kind of structure so that I can tell a story where A or B is the natural consequence of A and C is the consequence of B, it's et cetera, et cetera. Because that's what storytelling is. And so with Erica, you are absolutely right. There are things that pay off where you may not have fully seen the setup of it uh, because you chose something different. And that, first off, that's a huge writing challenge for the developers to figure out how to not screw over their own story in the service of player agency uh, and how to make things sort of, cause it like many, um, you know, almost like telltale games, those will have these branches and then it's, and then they all converge again on the, on the kind of core and then it branches again and then it converges again. And Erica definitely has some of that as well, where it's not like it's this, you know, spoke uh, spokes on a wheel where the game Mm -hmm. starts at the hub and then you just go off in any direction and it's a completely different game. It it is more like a movie where the beginning, middle and end are fundamentally similar for players, but the, the sheer number of variations 
is pretty staggering on both big and small levels. So there's definitely a few scenes where I, I really had to pay off this big moment. And I thought the funny, this whole scene is technically optional. Right. Uh, there, it's really easy. It's really easy to not see this. So how do I make sure that I'm not short, uh, like underserving the player's emotional takeaway in other scenes where they don't have this one? And I don't, to be honest, I don't even know if I solved that because it's just a systemic challenge to this kind of storytelling. So let's hope I did, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough. I mean, it took years. This game was, was really, really hard work. And that kind of is the epicenter of why. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Well, it's been interesting to see, we, we're sort of, you know, I don't know if it's quite a pattern, but we're, uh, you know, Erica comes after, you know, the sort of like surprise popularity of a game like Until Dawn, in which oh, for know, sure. that is a, you know, a game with like deep branching past that like that studio mm-hmm. is now, Doing their spiritual successor, uh, Man of uh, uh, Man of Madan, I think is the the name of it, in which they're actually building in, you know, oh right, the way that people played this game was they sat around a couch and passed the controller and like role played <laughs> yeah. different characters. We'll just build that into the mechanics of it, and I think what's excite was exciting for people like myself that other than you know liking horror and Until Dawn being like an interactive horror film was. It what Bandersnatch represents, which Erica represents, which is opportunities where you have people in your life that would theoretically like video games, but don't have the time to invest to get over the hump to enjoy them. And that's so like interactive fiction that allows you to bridge those two worlds where it's like I could play Until Dawn with my wife because I could ask her what the choices were and I didn't have to like have her figure out analog sticks and things like that that she just doesn't have <laughs> – the time for because they're raising a kid. And that's what like Erica banner snatch, like they're, they're finding ways to take what's so interesting about video games and meld them with different mediums in ways that allow like people to bridge interest between one another without necessarily feeling like, Oh, this is a video game, which to some person might make them think that's too much. I, I don't, I don't know how to play video games. Like I, I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. I mean, and obviously th- this motif has been with me my whole career because that was sort of the MO of that game company also that, you know, they, when we were working on journey and flow, even flow at the very beginning, the kind of unofficial mantra for TGC was we want to make games for people that don't know yet that they love games. And, you know, it, it would be like exposing someone to a genre of literature that they didn't know they loved, you know, that kind or that, that was always the hope. That's the goal. That's the, the aspiration with, with those. And, and Jack Atridge, the director on Erica, very much shares that thinking. His 
philosophy was I want to try to find a way to bridge the gap to non-gamers who who are not predisposed against games. It's like you just said with your wife that that the the world is busy. There's complicated yeah. lives and not everyone is going to invest 50 hours <laughs> as, you know, Ezio running around in Florence rooftops because they that sounds like a good weekend to them. Like a lot of people, I mean, even I, I've been a gamer before since before I was even a musician and my dream games now are like Gone Home and Her Story because it's it's basically the amount of time commitment is watching an episode of Stranger Things, right, you know? Right, yeah, right. And totally, and that's totally. just kind of I've partitioned my life into these hour and two hour bite sizes and so, you know, like last year I I I I trudged my way through Insomniac Spider-Man. It took me like six months to reach the end of that game as a result. <laughs> and that's and a it, shorter one of those games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's because, and I, and the thing is, I, I love those kinds of games. I just don't really allot as much time as they right. warrant. Yeah. And so Erica is, you know, with, with that and the nature of the mechanics, like with Until Dawn, uh, very much trying to be this sort of olive branch to the, to those sorts of people and to the, and to those that may not even sort of take games seriously or who 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 are curious but not necessarily passionate you know their their dream i know that eventually the the plan is to have it available um uh on mobile devices and things mm -hmm. like that where they can really it, which was actually that was how it originally existed when i first got shown the prototype which was way before the deal with sony it was an ipad game huh. and because he he felt very strongly that it's all about literally touching the footage and connecting in a tactile way with the characters where it's not the degree of separation that the controller brings and the physical distance from your TV that is sort of implied in that is less intimate than his, than his goal. Um, obviously, he, you know, the, the deal with Sony was a very positive one. And so it was like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's figure out a way to make this work as a console experience. Uh, but I think the plan is to eventually have it um, available on mobile devices because that that that's such the way to reach people. Everybody has a smartphone or an right, iPad right. or there's a, a huge some audience kind of there. Yeah, I, I think exactly. a lot. And so yeah. I, I think so much about these moments in my life where I've shown my parents. My parents grew up playing, you know, didn't grow up playing games, but in their in their twenties, right? You know, when they were when they were, you know, hanging out in cities in the eighties or whatever, uh, like around right before they had me, they were playing. <laughs> That's what arcade everybody games. was doing in the eighties. Right, hanging around Just cities. Hanging out in cities. Hanging out in cities. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were playing arcade games. You know, my dad had a had an Intellivision. My dad had got an NES. You know, like oh, the, nice. that stuff as I was growing up, it, games were all around, but somewhere along the lines, they they stopped keeping up. Uh, they knew I loved games. They loved to hear me talk about games um both of them still listen to this podcast sometimes hi mom hi dad uh and and i remember times of showing them things like it's gonna be an interesting test uh, <laughs> uh, you've just yeah, we'll see you've we'll just see. put them on the spot <laughs> uh, yeah. listen listen i i if they don't listen that is completely fine i i am a worse son than they are good than they are pa uh worse parents so they're allowed <laughs> to not listen to one of the billion podcasts i put out um but i remember showing them skyrim or or showing my even there was a moment when i showed my dad uncharted 2 this is you know obviously decade you know 15 years ago 12 years ago now whenever that was um and he That's was like hard how do you... for my brain to accept i know it's really scary uh he was like how do you know where to go and to me i was like what do you mean how do i know where it's this is a very linear right. game dad you know this isn't even uncharted 4 with the big open areas and the and the jeep this is like oh uh clearly i thought it was also the beginning of the game I was like well the, the train i'm gonna walk down the length of the train that's of course that's and i had to realize like, well okay actually and again this 
this is like 12 years ago or something. But like, okay, wow, there are all of these skills that I've developed to understand what the game is asking of me that don't feel like skills. Yeah. They are, but they are second nature to me. You know, you were talking a moment ago about when you play RPGs, you always check everywhere except for the the uh, actual objective. <clears throat> because what if you miss something? What if they close off a door behind you? What if you need something? In, what if they give you the anti-toxin that you're going to need in, a, in the fight where the, the boss poisons you, you know? You, you learn all of those sorts of skills over decades of playing games or a few Yep. years in your young years of just intensely playing games over and over and over. Um, but for a lot of people, they don't have that stuff. But what they do have is a familiarity with certain other artistic techniques that are across other media. And so something like, hey, this is an ominous sounding, you know, uh, a song can communicate something with them using a skill set that they've developed, a literacy that they've developed from watching TV, from watching movies. And so I definitely think that, like, if that's your mission, you're in the right place because you're literally building bridges with skill sets they already have just into a, a medium that would scare them. So I, I, I'm I'm pretty curious about how, er, er, how Erica comes out because that is the sort of thing I could give to, uh, you know, a parent or someone who I know who knows that I like games but doesn't themselves play a lot of games. And hopefully uh, it sounds like something that they'd be able to connect to just like Patrick, you were saying, with Until Dawn. Um, so Yeah, yeah, I think you, you've, you've all but taken the words right out of the director Jack's mouth because he literally was at develop. Uh, in Brighton just this past weekend giving a speech where he he made those same fundamental points. He said, gamers have developed a set of skills that they intuit that if we want to reach bigger audiences, we have to get outside the bubble and realize exactly like you said with Uncharted, we can't take the, the uninitiated, uh, we can't take for granted that the uninitiated will intuit those things. Right. You know, like your, your Uncharted example is so spot on where if I've never played Uncharted, I won't look at a a rendering of like the jungle, the edge of the jungle and intuitively recognize that as a boundary. I would just say, well, isn't it possible to just get out my machete and forge into the forest and just see what's in there as if the world is just this infinitely expansive simulation of the real world? We look at that and we know that's not that's a wall. It might look like the jungle, but we recognize that we're basically in a hallway and uh and and Jack's whole thing is we shouldn't take that stuff for granted. That's how to reach more people. And 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 obviously film is a great medium for that. Kind of we're kind of designing in a bubble. It's it, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I would watch like the you know Batman animated series or the X Men uh, series in the late eighties, early nineties. That era, um, I remember that there would be a shot. And the disparity between the the elements in a scene that needed to move versus the background sort of paintings yeah, yeah, was yeah. always yep. so obvious that you would look at a sh establishing shot and you'd think that car is about to explode. Yep, 100%. because you 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 know it's drawn differently than the street and yeah. and and like it's just it's just clear you know and uh, and it, in a way it was it's like a weakness of it because it's telegraphing unintentionally. Um, but, um, but that's the kind of stuff where, you know, if that, if, if the game equivalent of that is somehow necessary to play the game, you shouldn't take for granted that everybody's going to notice that stuff. So yeah, Erica is very much built on maximum approachability. It's not, there's no way to lose. For example, it's not like 
it's not like the kind of game mechanics it uses have the traditional gamey tropes of high scores and extra right, lives and right. stuff like that. It's very much just extreme agency navigating through a story. Totally. And that should hopefully make it very approachable to people. Uh, and I love the idea of the group, like the, when mentioning Until Dawn, the group playthrough of, you know, okay, you get to make the next choice or, or I'm, you know, for the next 20 minutes, this is on me. Or, or even just people debating, like, what should we do? What should we do? Should we say that? Should we say that? And part of the fun of it is uh, the game tries to never break any immersion. So, so um, dialogue choices are all, you have a very finite amount of time to make a response. And with almost no exception, possibly no exception, if you don't choose a dialogue uh, option, sh the time will run out and she'll just say nothing and every all the other characters have to awkwardly react to the fact that she didn't answer their question or didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And so at every moment, you know, it's not it's not trying to break movie conventions with standard game conventions. Like, you know, if I'm playing if I'm playing Mass Effect and I have to make a dialogue choice, I could literally sit there for eternity debating about what to say <laughs> and we just accept that that's normal. But if you're right. watching an actor, because the footage would have to loop or something in order to do that, that would be so obvious it would break the immersion instantly. And so the developers were like, nope, that's not, that's just not on the table. We are not going to do that. Huh. Um, and it really helps make it more real while still having complete, complete in quotes, I guess, player agency. <laughs> <clears throat> right. A lot of places for, for the players to interject what they want to do there. Um, I am curious. We're going to let you go. Uh, we're going to let you get to the rest of your life instead of being interrogated by us. But you were talking about how well, we're medium... approaching one hour. So I think that's only 25 percent. But sure, go ahead. <laughs> give up early. <laughs> wow. Damn. <sighs> now no I more. Like... No more. No, no more hand in the mail for you, sir. <laughs> no more. Oh, no, we're failing. We're failing. Uh, our you promise. got us. Oh, no, we don't get the hand in the <laughs> mail. The what are we going to do, Austin? Oh, I guess you're just going to have to go back to thinking me of me as the like emotionally delicate uh, <laughs> uh, spiritual guru. Right. Uh -huh, that's yeah. you. That's what, that's what someone who is that would say. Uh -huh. <laughs> exactly. Well, well noted. Just gonna you played L.A. Noir. Going to reshoot all of Hannibal with Austin Winery as every role. Um, but my last Some question do you... mistake me for Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> wow. It's so humble, too. Um, the... You're talking about this. I as did I... put the flaw in the Death Star. All right, oh enough. I will silence myself. Unbelievable. I know. Um, Spoilers everywhere. Everywhere. The the you were talking about the medium being very young, and I'm curious. You know, part of the medium being young is that it's exciting because lots of people can contribute to what it is. And as someone who at this point has been making music for video games, you have a career. You, it is not just a thing where you've made one or two. You know, you have a Wikipedia page where you can scroll. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. <laughs> you keep making stuff, it turns out. I've, I'm never, curious. I've never realized that as a metric for uh, It's for, a bullshit uh, metric I just came up with, but yeah. I think it's a fun one. No, I one. love it. I need to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go straight to the, uh, I'm going to go straight to the Wayback Machine and find the moment at which it required scrolling in yeah. the Wikipedia entry and decide like this was the day that this moment is, day. is when is I it. have made it officially. Um, uh, so my question for you is who is not at that point yet, but you're paying attention to their music people. Who are you excited about? Who is also working in games, making music, scoring, scoring soundtracks, doing the sort of stuff you do. Is there anyone you're following anyone who you're excited by right now? 
Oh God, tons. I, one of the things that I love about working in games, working as a composer in general, because this is true in film. It's true. Even in, I occasionally dabble in, in like the concert music world, like sure. modern classical music, basically mm-hmm. writing for orchestras or string quartets or whatever. I, I, I dip my toes in there sometimes, or even, um, like record production and that kind of thing. And so, you know, one of the things that's amazing about the 21st century is there's a virtually infinite number of places a composer can call home huh. and, and you can nomadically call all of them home. So, I mean, for example, a friend of mine, um, it, Ludwig Gorenson is just this, uh, he's this unbelievable composer and musician. And he just, he just did the seemingly impossible and won an Oscar for the score to black Panther. Um, and who, you know, there's only one, ever other one other time ever in the history of cinema that a superhero, you know, the, the quintessential popcorn genre yeah. uh, was even nominated for an Oscar, which was John Williams scored a Superman, Superman in 1978, sure, sure. which is essential. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's considered like a like as much of a staple film music uh, as, as star Wars or Indiana Jones or in, uh, innumerable mm-hmm. other John Williams scores or just scores in general. Uh, and, uh, and Ludwig managed to not only get nominated, but win. And, um, but astonishingly a week later or a week before or whatever, he, he wins a Grammy for his co-writing and production of this is America with childish Cambino. Uh, and so it's just like, the guy is just a badass. Um, and he's the nicest guy, extraordinarily humble. Uh, I remember I knew him very tangentially because his wife back then his girlfriend is the is the number one violinist I love to work with in LA Serena McKinney and she's always played concertmaster for me anytime I do recording sessions here in LA and um and I remember I saw the movie Creed which Ludwig scored and I was like man what a good score that was <laughs> and uh, cuz it just blew me away and the way that he integrated these kind of slightly R&B you know dash of hip hop songs into the score i thought here's a guy that really understands both sides of that fence like this is a deep knowledge of production and also scoring and orchestral writing and i was like this guy could kind of do it all and i loved the movie i've always been a fan of the rocky franchise but i thought creed was a truly brilliant next evolution of those characters and and um just absolutely loved it and so I remember we were working on something, Serena and I, and she was like, yeah, Ludwig's, um, he's actually in Senegal right now doing a bunch of recordings with these drummers for Black Panther. And I was like, well, I'll be very curious how that goes. And um, man, oh man, did that go well. So uh, Ludwig, I wouldn't call him up and comer, although he's never done a game to my knowledge. Um, but um, he's, he's someone I, I just, I love being able to, to the extent that it even makes sense to, because I mean, my God, he's. He's an Oscar-winning composer, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's he's scoring. I mean, he's literally Hans Zimmer is so tied up with D- Denis Villeneuve's um, Dune remake that he couldn't do Christopher Nolan's next movie, so they hired Ludwig oh, wow. for it. Um, so Ludwig is doing Nolan's next movie, which is like a it's like a it's like a spy thriller or a World War II uh, film of some kind. I think I can't remember, or maybe Cold War era spy film. I can't remember. I think it's called Tenet, and. Um, but Ludwig's doing the gig and he's going to do that right after finishing up working with John Favreau on the Mandalorian TV show. So he's just like, he's killing it. Wow. And so to the extent that I could even righteously call someone uh, like that, a colleague, I do cherish being able to do that because feeling inspired, not by someone 
50 years older than you or someone who's been dead for 20 years. Like my all-time favorite composer is Jerry Goldsworth. He's been dead now for for approaching 20 years, 15 years, actually exactly 15 years, 2004. Uh, Jerry died at the age of 75. So he was like a childhood hero who was, he was this like deity from the beginning because he was just in another universe as a kid growing up in Colorado and looking at the achievements of this composer even 30 years ago. He was this unimaginable, he was on this Mount Olympus that seemingly one could never reach. So he was a hero, but in the same way that we hero, like we, we idolize, you know, mythic figures. On the other hand, Ludwig, you know, he's a guy I, I see around. We, we, we trade emails every now and again, or we'll have a drink here and there. That, and, and yet I, I think of him in almost the same way from a respect standpoint. And so to be able to respect and admire a colleague is very empowering because you think, there's nothing actually fundamentally that they're doing that I can't do. There's nothing right. out of reach. And this, uh, when you're a kid, you look at someone like John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith or Danny Elfman or Bernard Herrmann, and you say, they are just not in my universe. They are so, they are, they, they have warp technology and I'm like on a bike. <laughs> uh, and you just can't help but feel very separate from that. But when it's your colleagues, another good friend who I would say the same about is Bear McCreary. You know, he and I talk all the time and, and, uh, and yet I really genuinely admire him. Like he's a friend, but he's someone I look up to in the same breath. And I, and I, I love feeling that. So other people, I'll just rattle off names. People can go <laughs> check out if they don't already know it because, because there's so many composers I admire. Jason Graves, I mentioned before, yep. composer of the Dead Space games. And he and I worked a little bit together on The Order 1886. And he did right. the Tomb Raider right. reboot and just tons and tons of games. Jessica Curry. Uh, is a very dear friend and someone who I just think the world of. She won the BAFTA for Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Great. Which I think uh, is just like score. one of the next yeah. level. Oh yeah. It's like, it's like a score that made all the rest of us composers sit up and go, God damn, we better, we better pay attention because the bar just raised. And I feel the same about Gary Scheiman with the Bioshock, uh, particularly Bioshock one, but, but one and three are both, I mean, the two of my favorite games ever made and his scores, uh, just elevated them beyond beyond the norm, even of a of a, of a great score. I mean, they're just the transcendent bar setting quality works. Um, uh, Disaster piece, who's done ten thousand indie games, but most famously like Fez and <laughs> yeah, Hyperlight Drifter. Hyperlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, he's he's just the he's just tremendous. Rich Freeland is his name. Uh, Danny Baranowski, who just did the new Cadence uh, in High yeah, Hi, 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 Hi Rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Um, but uh, but most noteworthily, I think, um, you know, Crypt of the Necrodancer and uh, Super Meat Boy and Binding of Isaac. Danny is just just phenomenal. Uh, Grant Kirkhope's been in the business for a long time. You know, Banjo-Kazooie and GoldenEye 64, Perfect Dark uh, and recent games <laughs> like Ukulele. Um, and uh, Grant is just uh, he's just wonderful. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of. Of a, of a good example of, of maybe someone that people don't uh, know as well. Uh, here's, here's a name. Uh, there's a wonderful young guy named John Robert Matz um, who, who did uh, a game that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly blanking on the name of it. I'm going to Google it really fast so I don't leave this <laughs> hanging. Um, because uh, he, this was a guy that it was kind of his first real shot at a game. Huh. And he, um, he just gave it everything he had and you could feel that it was, it's called fossil echo. Uh, and I don't think the game was particularly wide of a hit, but he got a lot of attention within the composer community for his score, because it was just one of those where you could tell this is a guy who's 
his plan to win. He mm-hmm. really, 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 really wanted every last little note, every tiny little gesture to be all that it could be. It was, there was nothing phoned in about even the tiniest details of that score. And so he won a lot of admirers within the composer community for that a couple years ago. Also did some stuff um, on uh, Gunpoint, the the Tom Francis game, which is fantastic. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Him and Ryan Ike. Uh, yep. Ryan Ike's another one who who was also uh, the kind of the main Gunpoint composer, I think. Yep, um, yep. And, yeah, I, there, there's a lot. I mean, that's one of those things that there's kind of a spoil of riches. Every year I go to GDC, yeah, I walk five feet and I run into a friend or a colleague <laughs> And I'm like, man, this person's also really genuinely inspiring and really Lena Rain, a perfect someone who I only recently came to know, uh, who did Celeste, uh, who, you know, before that, everyone hears Celeste, just kind of like our thing earlier about being known for journey or 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 a style, a specific style. Um, everyone hears Celeste and like, okay, so she's another one of these kind of chiptune uh 8-bit style composers and it's like well you realize before that she was on staff at arena net doing orchestral music for guild wars uh so she's she's no newcomer no amateur and she's also she's also not a one-trick pony um so she's awesome uh and uh i only met her a couple months ago at at gdc because of because of uh celeste but anyway yeah i could go on and on because there's so many and now i'm gonna feel like an ass because there's so many that i've <laughs> i shouldn't have put you on named. the spot now i feel bad i know name, do you name i will i'll add people. one last one okay one more yeah exactly i will give you one final name of someone that is well worth their time he's kind of my all-time hero in uh the world of games which is peter mcconnell um, he is most known for scoring basically every Tim Schafer game. Okay, sure. So he goes he goes back to the beginnings of the LucasArts days and was part of the general sound team along with a guy named uh, uh, Michael Land and a guy named Clint Bajakian. The three of them were the sound and music of, you know, Monkey Island, Full Throttle, The Dig. But Peter was the sole composer of probably my favorite game score of all time, Grim Fandango. And... Uh, but he's doing, you know, he's working on Psychonauts 2 right now. He did all of the, what, what were those, um, those Fox, um, the, um, Cy Cooper? Uh, no, or... uh, yes, 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 okay. Cy Cooper. Yes, yeah. yes. I could hear that. Uh, he I could totally those... hear that, that similarity too. Oh yeah. He's got a real strong voice and identity as a composer. You can listen to, uh, just one second. I mean, he did the, he did, um. You, you, you hear, you know, you hear Cy Cooper, you hear Grim Fandango, you hear Psychonauts, and then you go play Hearthstone and you're like, hmm, this sounds familiar because he's got, he's got a very distinctive sound. And of course, right, sure. Blizzard hired, a very inspired choice to hire him for that <laughs> on Blizzard's part. So awesome. Well, thank you so, for yeah, there's, the there's reading many, list, many, the many. homework you've given us. I was like, one more question. You were like, I'm going to get this five hours, Austin. <laughs> we're going to be here the whole day. I'm just going to keep naming names. You're going to have to keep adding them to your Spotify account or, or wherever you listen to music. I'm not, I have no loyalty to Spotify or anyone else. This, this issue, this episode brought to you specifically <laughs> by Spotify. No, can I tell you the, uh, the weirdest thing is, so this is just, this is complete like shop talk, but we are part of a thing where our, our podcasts go up on a service that has programmatic ads, which is like algorithmically like sold ads, which means there will be an ad on this podcast. Maybe if you might hear one, if the, if the machine decides you hear one and I won't know what it's for. It is the weirdest thing. It is like a way to get better rates or something. I didn't. I did not pen this deal. But that is the world we live in now, where we will record a podcast, well, and it might I be a weird that. local thing. It might be like uh, we've heard from from fans who say like, "Oh yeah, I had an ad for a local comedy club," which is the strangest thing. 
<laughs> so maybe yes. we did get a this waypoint brought to you by Flappers and Burbank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, Yes. Well, let's let's spice it up. So I'm going to name drop some things. So Heinz Please. ketchup is okay. uh, always in every is is, oh, is a familiar staple. Uh, Omaha steaks. Uh, yeah, they got those. Uh, yeah, uh huh. Anything yeah, else? Any other brands you're a fan of? Is there anyone else you want to? Uh, I uh, uh, I used to drive a Toyota. Great. Um, Good. I'm glad. And uh, let's just think. What's a real contentious brand that like ooh Chick Fil A no. always brings out the best in we people? Are not and uh, <laughs> no and. Uh, <laughs> There are lines. I, I look forward to the uh, <laughs> Chick Fil A, Hobby Lobby, all the bad uh, ones. Wow, you're really digging deep. You, re- oh, I can't believe you're doing this to me right now. You're the I'm listeners. just trying to earn you some scratch. Man. Oh yeah, this thanks, is, uh, man. This is great. God. Yeah, Blackwater. Remember oh, them? They're Halliburton. Yeah, Halliburton. Good. All the best brands brought to you. Uh, you know what? They would hate the association with us. That's the truth. Is all of those companies? That's true. They yeah, would be re- the ones yeah, who are re- like, wait a second, who who shouted us out? Ugh. Get a, give me my lawyer. Yeah, exactly. God. Yep, exactly. Well, on I'm, that, all re- all the proceeds, all the proceeds of today are going to go to um to Ben Shapiro's Patreon. Oh my and, God. Uh, Oh my God! Uh, thank you for completely you're, you're understanding welcome. our audience, who will understand the bit you are doing right now. Uh, and also, thank you for giving us an hour of your time. Bit. That is, a, I'm sorry, the the not the bit. Bit is the wrong word. The um, uh, this is truth. This the, is the, tr- right. This is the deep saying. truth. The cap. The right. The, you, of course, will also be opening up a Patreon soon to share all of your opinions with the world. <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely uh, yes. God, all right. Your uh, real talk. Watch your Twitter mentions now. Now that you've <laughs> now that we've walked down this road. Um, thank you so much as always for for spending time with us. Uh, had a blast chatting with you. Uh, where can people oh, it's, find it's, it's, if, it's if my people pleasure. wanted to pay you money for your music? Where could they do that? Well, then I guess this is going to have targeted ads for Bandcamp. And and what I especially love is that the whole last five minutes is totally going to be edited out. And so we'll see about uh, that. You're, you're <laughs> we'll going to, you're we'll, going to, you sat uh, my, a my censorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for anyone interested in the unedited uh, uh, recording of this from my end of the conversation, you can contact me via Twitter. Uh, for the true story. No, uh, Bandcamp. I'm all, I mean, I, I, funny enough, Composers and music artists in general tend to um, hate on Spotify. Yeah, I'm yeah, actually totally. a big fan of Spotify. I, I I love anything that kind of broadens the listener base mm. and democratizes the the barriers to entry because literally anybody can throw music up on Spotify. And so right. there's there's just there's more hours of music on Spotify than like hours that humanity has existed in the history of <laughs> geologic time. It's and a lot of music. That to me is amazing. Yeah, music, oh, the, heart, the heartbreaking I mean, thing I think about a lot is like, I bet I'll never hear my favorite song. I bet there's a song out there that if I heard it would change my life, would like sit with me forever. But there is so much. And listen, I have lots of favorite songs already. I'm fine. It's okay that this is the case. I'd rather live in the world where there is more incredible music out there for me to listen to than less. But it is it is mind blowing to me to think someone right now in Iowa or Kenya or, or Osaka is making music perfect for me. And I have 
no idea. I have, will never hear it because there is that much out there. Now, that is the world we live in. Um, on, you know. But you've also never had a higher probability yes. of being able to hear it than you're, today. And that's why I love totally it. You're totally right. Yes, absolutely. Both of those and things so, are true. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if, if someone uh, wants to um, support what I do, obviously – Bandcamp, but one of the things that I like about Bandcamp is that it has a kind of Patreon-esque subscription option where right. you can get automatically every new album sent to you. And one of the things I like about that is I recently opened a private Discord server for those subscribers that huh. just pay an annual thing. And, and I've been sharing unreleased works in progress with them to get their feedback. Um, and because I'm getting ready to release an album of kind of back catalog stuff. It's actually an album of all rejected material from the last 10 years of my career. Mostly it's demos for jobs that I didn't get. Huh. Uh, and I realized I had hours and hours where I went all in. Like I really wanted to get the job. So I hired out of pocket a full orchestra and to really show them, here's my idea with no compromises and no leap of faith on your part to kind of hear through the rough draft mock-up nature. Like this is the product. And then they're like, cool, thanks. We actually hired, you know, bear. And, uh, uh, so I've got, I realized I have just like like a million tracks of stuff like that. That was a joy to create in which I have, like, it sounds, the premise sounds very jaded and cynical. Like, ah, uh, here's all the, you know, the swings I took and, and struck out on, but it's like, I feel so lucky. I've had the opportunity to swing as many times as I have that I, and I feel also very lucky that the times that it does come through, it has given me the resources needed to be able to take those leaps later on these kind of outlandish over the top demos. And so I thought I should put out a compilation of that. So I've been using this discord server as a way to like say, you know, what do you guys think of this? Is this, if you have no context for what this was written for, is this interesting to you? Right, or is it just right, a random right. piece of music? That's not exciting. And that kind of, so if anybody who hears is interested in that, I'm doing that through my, through Bandcamp and discord and, but otherwise, yeah, whatever the normal Facebook, Instagram, I'm a wintry everywhere except on Instagram where someone stole that and wow. I can't get them to take it down. So I'm a dot wintry on Instagram. Oh, wow. Owned. What, how, what are they doing with it? What are they, are they putting up like dog pictures? Are they using it no, at all? Like they're a, just, they're just squatting it. It's, there's no usage of it, but it's a, it, it, it's a clone of my Twitter bio from like five years ago. Amazing. Um, Terrible. And so it's like, you're it's certain like, yeah, you didn't I, set that up by mistake and forget the password. It was a drunken Instagram weekend. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I have sadly, uh, I have sadly no memory of that, which means very could be. It's like, it's like memento, you know, don't yeah. trust his lies. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, You're going to wake up but, tomorrow. Uh, there's going to be a box at the door. It's going to, it's going to have someone's hand in it <laughs> and their hand is going to be connected to a phone and their phone is going to be the login for that other account. And then you're going to look down and it's your hand. You're missing a hand in this scenario. <laughs> My God. This is why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> To write stories. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you should, you should be writing. It's I need to hook you dreamy. up with the, uh, very Erica devs. You know, it's very surreal. I like to think uh, it really plays with the viewer's expectation. So, you know, I'm just trying to do things. I feel disappointed that I didn't have music underneath <laughs> your kind of thrilling monologue describing that, that. Very M Night Shyamalan type <laughs> moment. There. Very big twist. If listen, if you want to, uh, if you want to score us something for that moment, you feel free. Um, 
thank you done again and done. so much for this incredible conversation. Patrick had to run off to do a different interview, which starts in a minute. So so a, a goodbye from him as well. Shout outs to Patrick. He didn't for, say for goodbye. Hanging. He said goodbye through me is what I'll say because he didn't want to interrupt you, which is- he's, It was like the tentacles around <laughs> Brent Spiner's yes. uh, neck in Independence Day. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Another spoiler. <laughs> Ah, oh, come on. That's like halfway through the movie. It is like halfway through the movie. Yeah. And it's a great scene. It's a fantastic sequence. So, yeah, you're like data. My God. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I Well, then back to alien tentacle overlord. Uh, goodbye, Patrick. And uh, and thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the chat. I, I hopefully it won't be a a uh, a static thing that it's a triannual Pattern. Yes. We'll have to do this more Hopefully. often, please. Yes, also, I would love that. Uh, briefly, is there a date? Is there a release date on Erica yet? I know, obviously, this will be coming out alongside some more material, some trailers, stuff like that. Uh, the, the announcement that you will be doing the score, in fact. But do you know if there is like a, a window of, of release date that people should know yet? So my understanding is that um, August 19 or 20, corresponding to Gamescom yep. in Cologne, will be will be all the things it will be okay. announced. It will be released. It will be the, the oh, wow. tra trailers awesome. will drop. I will, I will shotgun everything. And that's when theoretically this em embargo should lift as well. So that we're just trying to kind of uh, reach the top of people's feeds through, uh, through the, sh the blast, you know, the shrapnel approach. Yes. Um, I'll be releasing my own, like the video I sent over, that's kind of a trailer for both the game and the score. And I've got other kind of little behind the scenes and I'm actually working on trying to make, this is my, I, this is going to take a couple of months. Unfortunately, I wish I'd had this idea six months ago of um, I'm filming myself giving behind the scenes about the score. And then we're going to put it in engine and make that interactive, like the dialogue options of, oh, the, that's very of the game itself. That's very cool. So it's, yeah, so it's like, tell us about, you know, d why this instrument or that instrument? And you, like, have to choose which <laughs> which option for me to answer with. I, I think it's going to be so much fun to shoot that. Probably very tedious, but uh, but uh, in any case, yeah. So there's, I think, August 20, everything, all that should just be exploding out at once. Awesome. Well, congratulations on wrapping up what you, what you described as a very difficult project. I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, uh, and, and as always, thank you again for chatting with us. We should. We should try to do this at least once a year minimum. So let's see if we can make that happen. Let's see if we can, if you'll agree to it, I'll agree to it. Next time we can go even longer. I'll, I will block out a longer period of time. I'll make sure that anyone else doing a podcast, <laughs> doing the, the conversation with me, doesn't schedule a different interview that might overlap Patrick. with it. To be fair, to be fair, we both kind of, I, I had the idea there. I was like, oh, Patrick should be on this. Patrick has such a good understanding of horror and music and all that. He should be here. So it, that's kind of my fault that I didn't have him clear his schedule earlier. But the point remains, next time I will make sure that we're, we, we have as much runway as we could possibly need. Um, I think both of you underestimate the uh, influence you have over my heartstrings and <laughs> emotionally emotionally playing with me up. like that. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I apologize. Uh, a deep and sincere apology from my heart, from one Austin to another. Uh, I hope yeah. you'll accept it. That's true. That's true. As, as one of, as one of my own, uh, <laughs> this betrayal is just stings all the more deeply. So no, all good. I'll let you go. I'm going to get back uh, to work as well. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you so much.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Uh, we should all clap at 35 seconds, just once, a single clap. Okay, I'm ready. It's happening. All right, let's go. All right. All right. Holy, that sounded holy latency. I, yeah, but that's the latency. That's fine. fine. We, it will be fine. fine. It's a very like, weird trick, but that's a that, this is this is new. I never even knew about this site. It makes me think of uh, BoJack. Um, <laughs> the, oh the, yes, one hundred percent. Yes, that yes. I love it. Uh, what, I didn't know that was real. It's a it, it's look, real. Uh huh. I look forward to down. the. I look forward mm-hmm. to the time dot is cinematic universe. <laughs> You well, can you say that, except and, uh, like there is a different version of this website that gets rid of ads. So there are yeah. like two different versions of this. You go to time.is slash just, and that will be just the time, please. I don't need ads or quotes. The quote for the day, by the way, is act now or face disaster, which is ominous, <laughs> I think. Um, though, well, that's going to be the tone. That's going to be the recurring theme of this podcast. I can tell you right now. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Glad to hear it. All right. I'm going to do a very short intro and then we can get right into it because that sounds, that sounds fantastic. All right. You know, yeah. You better, you better act now. I, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know, you know what happens. So disaster. All right. Exactly. <laughs> 